I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, I'm a I'm a gamer at home, you know? So so all this stuff like is I'm I'm using it every day and so you know, to be able to to work with the sorts of things I love to work with, but also get to do things I love and and to help people and feel like it actually make an impact is it's crazy. And it, I, I there are a few I've never had a job I've that's I've quite loved quite as much. So Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Andrew Benzinger from Saskabilities. He is the feature guest in season five, episode six of YXE Underground. Andrew Benzinger is in his dream job. As the adaptive technologist for Saskabilities, he is helping people overcome barriers they are facing due to disability or injury through his passion for technology and empathy to help others in need. We visit Andrew at his workshop to learn how he uses technology and perhaps a piece or two from his aquarium to make a difference in the lives of people here in Saskatoon. Welcome to the Adaptive Technology Department of Saskabilities. It is located at the organization's building on Louise Drive, which is an old school. You walk down a long hallway, and in an old classroom on the right-hand side of the hallway, you see a sign that says Adaptive Technology. This is Andrew Benziger's home away from home. The main space has a few desks which are covered with different devices and creations made by Andrew that are designed to help people in a variety of ways. He calls it his showroom, and it's where most of our conversation takes place. But his favorite space to spend time is definitely his workshop. It's attached to the showroom, and it's where Andrew loves to fix things. Recently, someone brought in a uh, transmitter for a hearing aid um, for, for a classroom, and I, I started taking it apart, and it was very old, and basically the company had refused to do any repairs on it, um, even if they'd paid for it. And I start taking it apart, I start taking the screws out, and I guess the plastic was just really old, and so all the, the things that were holding the screws onto the faceplate, the plastic just buckled and snapped, and so suddenly I couldn't attach the faceplate back onto the device. I was like, oh no, I was supposed to fix this! <laughs> I, I mean, it turned out okay in the end. Uh, I managed to, to put it back together, but uh, let's just say there was a good... There was a good couple hours where I was, uh, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Oh, sorry, should I not be sorry? No, 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 you go for it. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was an afternoon of panic. As an adaptive technologist, Andrew works with people who need help overcoming barriers in their lives. Oftentimes, these barriers revolve around communication. Andrew shares some great examples in our conversation of how he has worked with clients to come up with creative and cost-efficient solutions to barriers they are facing due to disability or injury. Carrie McComber calls Andrew's role the best-kept secret at Saskabilities. Carrie is the Director of Rehabilitation Services with Saskabilities and manages a team of 70 people. Andrew is one of her people. 
Well, Andrew is a very special staff member. He uh, runs a department called Adaptive Technology, and he is the sole member of that department. And what the department does for people is it looks at the unique needs of the client, and Andrew finds the technology to meet those needs for the individual. He's, um, he's such a caring individual. He, he goes above and beyond for each one of our clients. Um, and he, you know, he truly listens to the client to understand their needs so that he can find the right product for them. Just recently, um, Andrew worked with a client. He was a young uh, gentleman who was a gamer. And um, Andrew, if you don't know, he's a little bit of a gamer himself. And they um, worked on a system, a, a gaming console, to, to meet the needs of this client who, who um, just needed a little bit of special touches. And um, it, was, it was wild to see what they were able to come up with and, and design for this client. And because uh, Andrew's a gamer, he understood what the buttons needed to do, what kind of functions, and, and when you push them. So it was really cool for Andrew to use his own personal experience and, and knowledge and love of gaming to be able to apply that for a client. In the first part of our conversation, Andrew shares the joy he feels when he's able to form a relationship with his clients and how he works with clients to overcome frustrating situations. We also talk about the work he does with children, which I found really interesting. I started by asking Andrew how a relationship with a client begins. So a lot of the time it is the occupational therapist or um, someone they know who is contacting me on their behalf because either they can't contact me or they don't know about me or they're not comfortable with it. But, you know, the other half of the time, it's a parent or a child reaching out and saying, like, hey, uh, my dad just fell and, and broke his hip and he's considered a fall risk now. Like, what do you know about uh, alarm pendants so that they can call for help or things like that? And so... Uh, Anyone, anyone can reach out to me, like whether you're just someone asking questions or you're a therapist who wants a recommendation. Um, reaching out to me is free. Anyone can do it. Ask questions. That, that part of my job is free, and it's, I, you know, a huge, huge section of my job is just information. It's, it's telling, you know, getting people where they need to be, getting them the resources they need, helping them find where they can find funding or where they can access services that maybe I don't provide. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of contacts for like hearing aids or um, uh, modifying a vehicle to suit a wheelchair or uh, alternative controls for driving. And obviously I can't do everything. Um, but so a lot of my job is, you know, being in the know of who does what in town sending people to the right place, making sure they're getting the right information because there is a lot of false information out there as well. You know, especially like in, for hearing aid stuff, there are a lot of people who are going to try and, you know, oh, you need this hearing aid, let me sell it to you. Um, and, there, and not to say that there are... Um, that there are just free hearing aids sitting all over the place, but there are resources for people to get hearing aids uh, more cheaply. Uh, or on, I think there's even maybe something sort of a loan service or for people who in low income who, who need them. So there are resources out there, but a lot of the time people just don't know they exist. And so a lot of my time is spent answering those questions and hopefully guiding people into making the best choices for themselves. Yeah. So then when you do, when, 
you know, when, after you have those initial conversations and you begin to work with someone, um, say for example, like the, the, the person with the, um, device that, um, that sends the vibrations through the jawbone, what, what's that called again? Uh, that's called a bone conduction headset okay. or induction. Yeah. Yeah. People use different words. So a bone conduction headset. Yes. So when you're working with that person, like, um, is it like, do you begin to sort of like develop like a, a bit of a relationship in terms of like, um, you know, you're, I, 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 I just picture like you're, you're doing such a good service and a necessary service for this person. Like it, does a relationship start to form at all? That depends. Uh, you know, a lot of people will come through this service. They'll have a very specific question. They'll get a very specific answer and that's all they need. Um, and then other people I will work with for hours and hours and hours, and I will see them multiple times, and we will start to be, you know, build a relationship, be friends. Like, you know, they'll call me as their sort of their go-to IT person a little bit, um, just because they're more comfortable speaking to me. Um, so yeah, it, it varies a lot. Sometimes I never even meet the client. Um, there are times where the occupational therapist just they knows what they know what they want. They just want to get it ordered, and they need someone to provide quotes for Kinsman or whatever application they're doing. And so I just provide the quote. I get the equipment. I set it up for them, and I say, "Here you go." And but other times, yeah, it's it's you know visiting them in the hospital or the care home or at their own home. It's you know discussing options like home automation. Um, access methods, you know, alternative tools so they can, you know, cut their food or, or make a cup of coffee or control their TV. Uh, like, you know, something like Alexa, turn on the TV. Hey, there you go. Alexa's turning on the TV. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, controlling lights, um, you know, using Netflix, stuff like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's that simple, uh, but, you know, often it's more complicated than you think. You know, setting up uh, an Alexa or Google Home at your house, easy peasy, you've got your own Wi-Fi network, that's simple. Well, maybe not for everybody, but, uh, you know, for, for people who are more tech savvy, that might be something simple. But then you get into a hospital or a care home setting where they've got a public Wi-Fi, and suddenly your devices can't speak over the Wi-Fi, so you're having to use infrared or RF frequencies, or you're having to use Bluetooth, and so then you're having to select very specific devices that will fulfill very specific roles uh, and, and wiggle between the cracks to find that one, one solution, right? So much problem solving with your job. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's all this job is, is... is Basically, when one of the other departments here has a client and it's like, oh, this client wants to be able to do this, that's not our department, then it's like, hey, talk to Andrew, maybe he has something. <laughs> um, so like, that's why there's like a lot of this like mounting equipment is because it's not really an access method, it's not technology, but if you don't have, if you can't mount your phone to your wheelchair, that, that's, that's an access issue, right? Yeah. And so then it, you fall, it falls to someone to make sure that you can mount your device and keep it on your wheelchair and keep it safe mm -hmm. and stable um, and accessible. When, when you go into a person's home, Andrew, like it's, um, like, do you feel, do you feel like a sense of responsibility at all in terms of like, I'm here, I, I've, 
you know, I take it upon myself, I'm going to help this person. Um, does that ever cross your mind at all? Uh, there are times where it's very obvious that I'm sort of their, um, the person they're turning to because nobody else has figured out what to do. And so sometimes there is a lot of pressure in that if I don't find something or if I don't get this working just right, um, it's going to be an ongoing issue for them that's going to affect their quality of life. Um, actually, I have a fellow right now, I can't name names for obvious reasons, but um, we got him voice controlling his um, his iPad so that he could you know, browse the internet, do stuff like that. Um, but I, we're expect we think it's because of the wi- the, the public Wi-Fi and oh, geez, guest Wi-Fi, especially in hospitals, is just so bad. They kick you off it all the time. You have to sign in. It causes all sorts of issues. But it's also affecting how they can do their voice control. And so I've been getting calls saying their voice control t- keeps turning off. And like, how do you like? You know, they, we, we went through all this process of getting the, these devices, making sure they were set up, making sure they knew how to use it, and now they can't use it. And, I mean, that sucks. It feels pretty pretty bad for for them. I mean, it, it's it's awful for them. I mean, they they thought they were going to, they had a path forward, and now they've hit yet another roadblock that's frustrating them, yeah. essentially. It's and, and, of course, I feel responsible for that because we didn't see, you know, see that coming so you know now we're 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 in talks and we're trying to figure out a way that that we can maybe get that to work but you know it's a process and sometimes you stumble and and it feels bad when you do or if you go to someone's place and you say like unfortunately i don't have a solution for you right now i don't know what to do um just the the example though with uh with the the client that you're working with it and and the Wi-Fi in the in the hospital like that like like you said you you go to these lines you find solutions and then something that's out of your control sort of prevents it from working from away. yeah yeah like are you um like from from your role do you do you bounce back quickly and say like okay let's let's figure out another solution how, how does that work for you Andrew. I, I mean, you sort of have to. I mean, there, it's not really a choice. Either you do, or they get left in the lurch and told to suck eggs. Essentially, like, like I mean, what else is there to do? Um, sometimes you can't find a solution, though. Like, I can't control the Wi-Fi. I can try to minimize the impact it has, or find an alternative thing to do. And that's what we're working on right now is maybe looking at an alternative. Because, but. We can't control the Wi-Fi. That's not something that I'm in charge of. I can't just say, hey, get this guy some Wi-Fi and pay for it in, perpetu- in perpetuity wherever he goes. Like, that's not, that's not feasible. Mm-hmm. So we need to find some other way. And, you know, for someone that has a voice but literally can't use their arms or their legs or really have much mobility at all, being unable to your options are limited and so you know as it gets narrower and narrower it starts to be harder and harder to find those solutions especially um we've got an eye gaze system here that allows someone to control a computer with their eyes but some people can't use it um either their their technical literacy is is at a stage where they they struggle to understand it or they're at a place where you know 
when you're when you're in a position where you can only use your eyes to access the world, like you can't even speak, um, it's very disheartening. It's it's very easy to lose hope, and there are situations where technology and and the devices offered can work, but the person has sort of given up and that's very hard to deal with. So then what what do you do in that case, Andrew? Sometimes you just have to leave it. I mean, not every you can't help you can to steal the you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You the best you can do is you can show them the options. You can say like here's what I've got for you if if you know if, if one of these works, then we can figure out a way to get it to you and and make sure you have it. Um, if not, we can try and fix what's not working or, or customize it to make it work. But at the end of the day, if they're not willing to interact with it at all, it doesn't matter. Does that happen often or are those more rare cases in, in your, in your line of work? It's pretty rare that someone doesn't want to, to see an improvement in their life. Um, but it does happen. Um, you know, especially with things like communication, um, when someone loses their voice or loses the ability to speak, sometimes an alternative, like a voice generating device, isn't adequate to them. They don't like it. They don't feel comfortable. Or they haven't communicated for such a long time that, that, that sort of that part of their brain that, you know, figures out what they want to say has, has degraded and they struggle with, with, just the the possibility of like what can I say, you know, um, and so like I I've worked with people who they have the access method, they have the ability to interact with that technology, they have the know how, and then they just nope, I don't want to, and yeah, it's very strange, um, but I mean that it comes down to what they want. If they don't want to change, then. Yeah. Can't make people change. There, there's only so much you can do. There's that... only so much. I'm here to provide stuff, not to force people to use it. Right. Um, it, thank you for explaining a little bit of that, because I, I hadn't thought of it that way in terms of, of your role, but um, thank you for explaining that. You um, see a lot of things like ALS where it's terminal, um, where they slowly lose function through their entire body, starting with the feet, and then eventually their leg, their feet stop working, and then their arms stop working, and then their head control goes, and then their voice control goes, and they get to a point where they're essentially just trapped in bed all day, every day, unable to do anything more than move their eyes in some cases. And, you know, it's terminal. There's no cure for it. So it can be, I mean, I understand. I, I... Mm-hmm. Are, are those days tough for you? Oh, yeah, it's tough for everybody, especially, you know, people with ALS generally are in the older um uh, sort of later stages of their life. Um, so they often have kids. They often led a productive life where they were, like, there are farmers and, you know, people have been working hard their whole lives and then suddenly they get ALS and they go from, you know, being the doer of the family to suddenly depending on everyone for everything. And, you know, watching your parent or your sibling uh, go through that and suddenly change completely is very, very hard. And so when they don't want to seek technology or something like that, it is hard on the entire family because they want to see them trying, but sometimes the fight just isn't there, right? Yeah. 
Um, you, you've been obviously kind enough to invite us into, into your space and, um, you, you described it a bit as a showroom, what we're looking at right now, um, for our listeners, um, do you want to walk us, walk us through in terms of what, what we see? And if you want to, if you want to demonstrate at all, um, buttons sound great on podcasts. Um, but yeah, what, what, what are we looking at here, Andrew? Okay. So on the far left here, we have got an old Toby Dynavox all in, uh, all in one device. Um, this is something, this is a, an i15 plus, um, and it is designed to basically make a computer accessible. Um, so down at the bottom, it's got a bar for eye gaze control if, if you purchase that option. And, uh, and for people that don't know eye gaze, like that, that's where you, you are able to control the screen through movements in your eyes, that's correct? Yep, solely eye-based. Um, it shines an infrared light at your eyes that reflects off the back of your retina. And you are then, it, and it picks it up, and it is able to calculate the angle of where you are looking at the screen in relation to the uh, into the camera that it uses, and will calculate where on the screen you are looking based on the distance from it and the distance back and the angles. Um, so you are able to look around the screen, and you'll see the mouse shooting across the screen wherever you look, and then you use something like Dwell technology, which is. Simply put, when you hover over something for long enough, it selects it. Okay. So you can change the duration based on how skilled you are, how fast you are, um, and it allows you to basically access a, the full range of the computer just with just your eyes. Um, but yeah, so this is an all, all-in-one device. This one is probably... Uh, I, I mean, not anymore. This one's an older model, but uh, in the neighborhood of twelve to $15,000... Um, and then next to it, we have an iPad, which is around $450 and a Surface Pro, which is, you know, about a thousand dollars connected to an eye gaze system. That's much cheaper also by Tony, Tony, Toby Dynavox. Um, but yeah, prices, this is, this is, I keep this around this, uh, big all in one unit around as sort of, uh, they still make them, but the cost is drastically reducing as technology improves, as consumer electronics get better and better. Uh, so, like, these two devices are basically both sold by Toby Dynavox. The, Sur- it's the Surface Pro with the eye gaze and the all-in-one unit. The Surface Pro with the eye gaze is somewhere between uh, two dollars and $5,000, and then the big all-in-one device is much, much more. And just... I guess I should say... One of the biggest parts of my job that doesn't get mentioned is uh, is finding cost-effective ways to do things, um, because especially when you're dealing with medical equipment or things specifically made for disabilities, the price goes up drastically. There's an, a, a very, very high markup. Um, and so one of the things that I'm most proud of in terms of what I do is making things much, much, much cheaper. Um, so... You know, we'll go over a few more of these things because this is these are, some of these are great examples of cost saving. Um, so, for example, uh, here I have a big what looks like an arcade board uh, with big arcade buttons and arcade joysticks, uh, just like you would see in an old arcade cabinet. Um, so, they, those I found on Amazon. They are. Um, if you've ever heard of a MAME, ca- uh, MAME cabinet, I think they're called. 
um, where people use an Android sort of processor and they program it to run old arcade games and then they build basically their own arcade cabinet that can run like a dozen different arcade games. Um, but because it became popular for a little while, uh, places started selling DIY kits where they would give you the buttons and the joysticks. And so I took those buttons and joysticks and rewired them to work with an Xbox adaptive controller. So now you can play Xbox with them. Um, where, like, <laughs> where did you come up with that idea? Um, well, obviously a person wanted to play Xbox. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, but also because uh, Switches are expensive normally. Um, so it used to be, you know, uh, even when I first started my job five years ago, um, there was really only a few places that made adaptive Switches, and they sold them for a mint. Um, so I'm actually just going to grab something real quick. sort of my box of switches. Uh, so I keep a lot of these around because they come in handy in a lot of different scenarios and stuff, but uh, this is a big uh, buddy button by AbleNet. Uh, That's a big red button. Yeah, it is a it is a very big, very red button. And this is called a micro light switch, uh, also by AbleNet. Um, and I'll actually pull one. I have some around, so I'll actually grab one and show you what it looks like out of the box. Uh, so, this would be an example of the red buddy button. It's just a flat, round piece of plastic, about two inches wide. Um, and you press it, and it can activate something. Um, so, what, what might it activate? Uh, well, it can activate a mouse button. So, if you are using head control or a different access method uh, other than like a mouse, um, it can act as your left click or your right click. Um, it can also activate toys and things like that. So I get a lot of um, basically requests for uh, like a children's toy to be adapted so that it can be used with a switch. So actually, if you look over there, I've got two children's toys there. Oh, you and have a big to... green button. Oh my gosh! You yes, push you. The big green button. Can I push it? You can push the. Rana, do you want to push the big green button? You got this. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. And so, okay, so you have to you have to explain what just happened when Rana pressed the green button. Yeah. So uh, that that little toy there is sort of the adaptive technology sort of um, mascot. Uh, it's a little uh, robot with a bunch of big colorful gears on the front and uh, big clear plastic eyes. And when you press the button, the gears spin, his arms wiggle, and his eyes light up, uh, and it makes quite a racket. <laughs> And you made this? No, 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 no. the the toy The toy was was from another time. Okay. Um, but I rewired it. Uh, well, actually, my predecessor rewired it uh, so that you could just go and press that big button, and it would turn on. Because uh, normally it's either on or off. There's a switch on the back, okay. so you t you toggle the switch on or off, and it's just on or it's just off. And clearly, that's not the case anymore. Um, so. That's the thing is a lot of a lot of children with various disabilities have trouble accessing uh, the controls, whether it's squeezing Elmo's hand or something like that. They they can't they they can't physically 
they're not their hands aren't dynamic enough or maybe they don't have the hands to do it um, to interact with that toy in the way that's intended. And so I will go and I'll rewire the switches and hook it up to a big red button like this. And then when they thump on the button, it goes and it turns the toy on. And you can see uh, that, that little bus thing over there, that fluffy bus, also has a cord coming out of it. Um, and this would just plug into that cord and, and turn it on and it would start doing its thing and playing music and, and whatever. Andrew, I, I, never, I never thought of the work you would do with kids, let alone with kids' toys. But as you're describing this, like I'm thinking of all the toys I played with as as a kid, whether it was whether it was Transformers, He Man, um, Train Set, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> like all all the things that I completely took for granted that I could do all that, yeah. and yet for some kids, that's yeah. Like what? What are you supposed to do? Like, yeah. what toys are made to be handled and picked up and squeezed and and you know, hugged or or you know, flipped on and off with a switch? And not every kid can do that. Well, I'm thankful they have you. Uh, me too. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are lots of other people that do stuff like this, and there are great organizations like Makers Making Change. That in December they did a fundraising campaign specifically to adapt toys for people all over Canada. And so that was amazing. And, and shout out to them. They're, they're makers making change. Or, or it's a great, great, uh, all across North America or Canada, I can't remember. But either way, great people. You're listening to Season 5, Episode 6 of OIXE Underground. I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and our guest is Andrew Benzinger from Sask Abilities. Listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And you can also listen to every episode of OIXE Underground over on the website at yxeunderground.com. Follow YXE Underground on social media. Just search YXE Underground on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that's where you'll see some wonderful photos of Andrew taken by Saskatoon photographer Juana Andres. And don't forget to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. I think one of Andrew's many strengths is how he combines his passion for technology with a genuine interest in helping people. In the second part of our conversation, you'll hear a wonderful quote from Andrew right near the end, where he puts his job into a greater perspective that I think will stick with you. You will also hear my friend and YXE underground photographer, Rana Andres, ask a few questions to Andrew. Now, Rana is an occupational therapy assistant at Sherbrooke Community Centre, which is where I work, and I wanted to make sure she had a chance to ask Andrew some questions because she would view his work through such a unique lens. Let me tell you, Rana asks some great questions. We pick up the conversation with Andrew and I in his showroom, surrounded by different devices and gadgets, and I asked him if he enjoys having such creative freedom in his job. I mean, yeah, it's my my favorite part. I mean, sometimes it's stressful because the reason you have to be creative is because there isn't a solution that you can just pluck off a shelf and hand to someone and say, here, this is great. Um, and so you have to work around it and you have to, or or budget is an issue. That's, I mean, like I, I, mean, I said it before, 
finding ways to get around people's budgets is huge because you know if someone has funding from you know a big organization or something you know you can you can buy them the premium device that's that's going to solve all the problems and it's going to you know it's already considered all the issues that could arise but then sometimes people are paying out of pocket and so you have to be aware of like how much can you spend here and like i need to find a way to make it fit that budget if they if they have like you know you know and it will be a limiting factor sometimes but a lot of times you can find your your little ways around it to to save someone several hundred to even several thousand dollars um perfect example i have this mount from a company i will not name uh it is a very good mount it is an amazing mount it is meant to go on a wheelchair it has an arm that swings you can and it locks into positions it is very durable very sturdy and if you have an ipad or a computer that is very precious to you that is holding devices that are very valuable you don't i mean it doesn't really get much better than this uh it is also like a three thousand dollar uh mount so you better that better be a very expensive device because that is uh, you might end up spending more on the mount than on the device. Yeah. That arm there uh, with the big knob on it mm -hmm. uh, is a Manfrotto lighting mount. Uh, so it is a consumer product. It is not a disability product, um, and because of that, it is much cheaper. Now it is still expensive. That is a four hundred dollar mount um, on the on the table there holding that uh, Surface Pro. But that is a, a far shot from $3,000. And then here, I've got, like, this is sort of where I'm getting, like, into the cheapest of the cheap. And, like, I can, I can make this work for less than $100. Um, now, it's not going to hold, you, you do not want this holding your Surface Pro because uh, weight is, it will, it will sag. But this is great for phones. Um, so this is made with uh, what's called Lockline Modular Hosing. Uh, and so if you want to grip it, I can hold this real quick for you. Um, if you want to grip it, it's, it's sturdy enough. It has sturdy, but it's flexible. It is. Um, and so it's got just enough strength. And what's funny is this is actually meant for plumbing. Um, so, so this is watertight, and you're, you're supposed to be able to basically mount this and replace like pieces of hosing in your aquarium or in your house um, to, to run hosing that's modular and that you can change out pieces and make it to whatever length you want. But it's got that sturdiness, so we've connected it to some RAM mounting pieces, and now it holds a phone. You can just take your phone, slap it in there, and mount this to a wheelchair, and and off you go. Where? Wow! How how did you how did you come up with this? Uh, so I have a, I, I have a saltwater aquarium at home, and uh, this we use this for plumbing uh, because it doesn't leak uh, uh, toxins into the water. Uh, it's it's food safe, so it's it's very um, good that way. But. It, it's sturdy. It, it, it holds up. It'll keep its shape unless you put a lot of weight on it. Like, I mean, it, obviously, if you do it, it sags and becomes a sad, a sad flower. Um, but it's great for a phone. It's, gr it's, it's just enough weight, to, uh, weight limit to hold a phone. And if you really, really want to, you can hold a tablet. You just got to keep it real short because the, every single segment you add reduces its overall strength. But I have, 
I had one client who maybe only had three or four segments, but it was just enough to do a little, a little bit of a scorpion tail. Um, and that, that curve gave it a lot of strength. And so it was just enough to hold it just like just above uh, where they were sitting. And so they could, but like, you have to be really careful with this stuff because it's cheap, but, but because it's cheap and because it's not meant to hold things, you don't want anything super expensive uh, depending on it. That must have been so cool though when you, when you like figured all this out and it, and it worked. Like, is it like an aha moment or, or like, yeah. do you do a little dance in your head like, yes, it worked? I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and you know, just like, you, you get to, you get familiar with certain things, you, you see certain things work. So like the reason I, I even thought of this is because uh, this is the, this is the RAM part. Uh, so RAM creates these mounts, and these are meant for uh, holding your um, holding your devices in a vehicle. So they're meant to be mounted internally in like a truck or uh, in your car, so that you can have your phone or your laptop uh, sort of mounted next to you as you're driving. Uh, so for things like you know police cruisers and stuff like that, where they want the computer like sitting right there next to them. Um, so you can see here, this is also a RAM mount, and if you come around the back. You can see the same sort of connector here uh, onto the back of the RAM mount. So this is holding the, the tablet, but then it's just got this little ball that screws into the arm, and that's, that's what makes these two work. This is Manfrotto, this is RAM, two different companies. They're just, their stuff just happens to, to fit together. And then, so I was playing with these, and I was, I was playing with these, and it's like, well, anything spherical that's about an inch can fit in here. And sure enough, this lock line is almost exactly the same size and so it's a little, got to get it just right, but, and you tighten it down, and sure enough, it looks almost exactly the same. It looks like it was made for each other. This is amazing. Um, Andrew, how, how, did, how did you end up, like, down this road where you're, <laughs> where you're taking inspiration from your saltwater aquarium and helping so many people who, who have barriers in their lives? Like, how, how did you... How'd you end up in this in this role? I, I fell into it. It was <laughs> it was never my intention to to end up doing this job. It just sort of happened. Um, it was it's one of those things. So I my background is um, electronics technician was was my first certificate, and then I got a diploma in um, electrical engineering technology. Uh, not an engineer, technologists for 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 those who. Who know the difference? Um, so I'm not an engineer, but uh, but yeah, I you know when you're in those fields, it, like your first thought going through school is like I, I just want to get a I want to get a job that's stable that's going to be around 50 years from now that you know, um, and then you know you work at a lot of jobs. I worked at the RCMP briefly. I worked with a you know electrical design firm for a while, um, and you start to like, you know, your work matters, but you know, you start to feel you want, everyone wants to do something that they feel is important, right? Everyone wants to get some satisfaction and, and actually do something and feel like they make a difference. And, uh, this job opened up and I'd never heard about it before. So I just tossed my application in just on a chance and I got the call and, you know, I, I met Reg, who was who was the guy before me, and uh, we talked a fair bit. And and you know, he he was a he was a great guy. He he's done stuff that I I haven't even started to do. Uh, he wor he worked with companies to develop uh, products that that they they sell 
now. Um, but also, like, on his own, like, I have back there an old legacy thing. I, I can't get rid of it. <laughs> like, I, 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 as in, I, I should say, I, it means too much to me. Um, he helped develop a system that would allow you to control your wheelchair with the same sort of eye gaze system um, to, like, move your wheelchair and guide it around. Now, there was a bunch of liability issues, and it was, I don't think it ever got to the point where it was functional enough that they could actually sell it because... There are always issues with eye gaze working in sunlight and stuff because it needs to be able to get the infrared light and in broad sunlight, infrared light is everywhere and it just it blinds the camera. And so, so there are lots of issues and there was, you know, liability with what if someone just drives out into the street because it stops responding to them or something like that, you know? Um, so nobody wanted to be responsible for that. But it was still just, it was such a cool project and it worked. I mean, he it was a proof of concept. He made it. It worked. Uh... And I can't, I could never get rid of that, but it's, it's very, very cool. Um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I don't no, know. No, no, no. It's, 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 very, it's very clear that this job means a lot to you. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so that's what I was talking about. Um, but just, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where when I got here and I saw what he did and I saw what he was working on this and the sorts of things they did, it just like, it was sort of a, like a, oh, geez, like, this this allows me to work with people to improve people's lives to actually feel like you know to go to work and feel like you actually make a difference every single day and but like also get to work with technology and and what i love and you know i i'm a geek i'm a nerd i'm a i'm a gamer at home you know so so all this stuff like is i'm i'm using it every day and so, you know, to be able to, to work with the sorts of things I love to work with, but also get to do things I love and, and to help people and feel like it actually make an impact is, it's crazy. And it, I, I, there are a few, I've never had a job I've, that's I've quite loved quite as much, so. Andrew, that's, that's wonderful. You, you've been so generous with your, with your time and, um, you tell wonderful stories and it's clear you're making a difference. Um, Rana, I have to ask, like, do you... From an occupational therapist assistant perspective, do you have any questions for I Andrew? I sure do. <laughs> Andrew, I have to know, what is the most unique project that you have ever worked on? Okay. I, got, I got a couple. That's a great question. <laughs> I got a couple. Okay, so we've talked about eye control, about controlling computer with just your eyes. Yeah. Um, I had a client in a hospital situation where they were, um, they were using an eye gaze set up but of course, if you're using eye gaze, it means you probably don't have any function elsewhere. Like you are physically unable to access other methods. Um, but this person need to be able to call for help, right? How do you call for help if you don't have a voice or if you're in a loud hospital where even if you do have your little voice thing, you can't, nobody's going to hear it over all the beeping and the, you know, the hustle and bustle of a, of a busy hospital. Um, so their family was very worried that something was going to happen and they wouldn't be able to call for help or they'd be in pain and just sitting there for hours until someone just happened to check in on them. And so they wanted to be able to use the call bell. So working with a Surface Pro and an eye gaze device, how do you, how do, you do that? So we got um, a little USB relay um, so it's just like he found something on Amazon. It was it was meant it was just some some relays that could be controlled. You could just toggle them on and off, 
through a USB interface. And so we built a box around that. Uh, the, I went to the IT department, uh, and they helped me write, a, write some software. And then, we, uh, then, I, then I wired the relay to, so, I mean, hospital call bell systems use these big quarter-inch uh, audio plugs. Like if you're in a, um, you know, any sort of band or anything, you've seen like tons of these big, big quarter-inch jacks. But that's what they use for their call bell system. And so we wired one of those audio jacks to this relay just so it would make a connection and break it, just like hitting a button. And we plugged it right into their system. Uh, and then there was, we just put a little icon on the corner of her, um, of her screen. And so if she moved her eyes to it, hovered over there long enough, it would click the icon. And any time you click the icon, it toggles the relay, sends a signal through the jack, and can actually signal the front desk where the, all the nurses are sitting that, that you've activated your call bell and you need help. And so she can just do that with her eyes. That is so great. That is so great. Was, Thanks was, for telling us. It was us. a bit of a process, but that was, that was cool to figure out. That's a great question. Rana, do, you, do you have any more questions, Rana? Well, any kind of assistive devices for photography that you've ever helped anyone with? Because mm. you, you've worked on some at Sherbrooke, right? I have worked on a few, and I noticed your man Frodo. I noticed that stand yeah. there because that's a photography stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's definitely ways to access the camera without, uh, like wirelessly without, without needing access. And it would be a bit of a roundabout route. It depends what you want to do. If you want them to be able to adjust the camera and stuff like that, it's a little harder to do. That might take some, some clever thinking and, and a bit of time. Um, but like there are, um, there are lots of USB um, devices for controlling the shutter. It's just like a little, you can buy them off Amazon. They're little shutter buttons, maybe $15. And it's just, it hooks up to your, your phone or whatever via Bluetooth and you hit the button so that you can take, like you can set your camera over here and you can just hit the button and take a picture. But you wire that pro you wire that properly, or you get the right one that has, that's accessible enough that someone in a wheelchair could use it. And you can have the camera set up there and then they can just hit the button or, or whatever, so they could at least take pictures on their own. Uh, also, with something like this, like a, a mount, you could have your, you know, you could have your phone sitting in here, attach it to your chair, and if you have the, if you if you have the accessible device to control your phone while you're in your chair, you can, you know, have it set up so that it's pointing forward, and you can use your device to to drive around and hit the button and take pictures as you turn around, like. Just off the top of my head, that's... Wow. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> Andrew, I, I, uh, like I, I feel like you, like someone could just spend a whole day with you and just learn so... Yeah, <laughs> so every much. once in a while, I, like I'm told to give presentations. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I'll give you the 30-minute the rundown of this is what this does, this is what this does, this yeah. is what this does. Does anyone want to demo something real quick? Yeah. And you can do that in half an hour, but like you get me talking, it's like we haven't even talked about like uh, voice dictation, um, accessing a computer with just your voice. We haven't talked about um, you know head control or or like it's just there's so, like this. You, I haven't even mentioned the roller mouse yet. Like, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's it's very easy to go down rabbit holes in this job in this field and. 
discuss something very narrow for a long time. <laughs> oh, I love it. Andrew, thank you. You're, you're amazing, and, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thanks for your time today. No problem, and uh, yeah, I'm, thanks for bringing me on this. I, my pleasure. My thanks to Andrew for inviting Rana and I into his workspace and sharing his passion with us. If you want to learn more about Andrew and his work, or to get in touch with him, just visit the Sask Abilities website at saskabilities.ca and click the Independent Living tab. This has been Season 5, Episode 6 of YXC Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can listen to YXC Underground wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or the website yxcunderground.com. And feel free to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Follow YXC Underground on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and that's where you'll see some wonderful photos of Andrew taken by my friend and Saskatoon photographer, and perhaps future podcast host, Rana Andres. A few quick thank yous before I say goodbye. Thank you to Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for managing the website. And a thank you to my cousin, Andrew Dixon, for the original theme music. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were done on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.